Section 12 of The Fourth Dimension Simply Explained by Henry Parker Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Avai in July 2016. Essay 10 Difficulties in Imagining the Fourth Dimension by A Dweller in Three Dimensions, Mrs. Elizabeth Brown Davis, Washington, D.C. We live in space of three dimensions. We call these three dimensions length, breadth, and thickness. For example, a line has length, but no breadth or thickness. A square has length and breadth, but no thickness. A cube has all three, length, breadth, and thickness. All the objects which we touch and use have these three dimensions, no more and no less. Even when we say that a line has length but no breadth or thickness, in reality we have to exercise our imagination to picture a line absolutely devoid of breadth or thickness. In practice, if we attempted to make such an object of only one dimension which we could pick up and handle, the nearest approach to it that we could make would be an extremely fine rod or wire, but the most finely attenuated wire that could possibly be manufactured would evidently have some breadth and some thickness, though they might be extremely minute. If we attempt to manufacture a surface having two dimensions, length and breadth, but no thickness, we will find it equally impossible. Some of the metals are capable of being rolled into extremely thin sheets, but it would not be true to say that they have no thickness at all. We may speak of the surface of a sheet of paper, but we cannot separate this surface from the paper without taking away some of the thickness with it. Hence we see that the objects with which we are surrounded on all sides and which we constantly use all have three dimensions. Our own bodies have three dimensions, and we live in a world of three dimensions. The notion of three dimensions is one of our inherent ideas, bequeathed to us by our earliest ancestors. Hence it is difficult for us to conceive the possibility of a world in which there are either more or less than three dimensions. It is possible, however, to picture in the imagination a world of two or even of only one dimension, because to do so, it is only necessary to take away, in imagination, from known objects a portion of themselves, that is, one or two of their known dimensions, and to picture their appearance as it would be under those conditions. On the other hand, to picture in the imagination a world of four dimensions, or even one object of four dimensions, requires that we add to three dimensions already known other parts about which we know nothing whatever. It is obviously much easier to imagine a known object stripped of some of its known parts, but whose remaining parts are also known, than it is to imagine that same known object with all of its known parts intact and increased by other parts which are entirely unknown and about which we have no information to guide us. Moreover, we have no good reason for supposing that a world of four dimensions does anywhere exist. But the question has often been asked, if there are three dimensions, why are there not four, or five, 
or even more? Why should the number of dimensions be limited to three? Why should it be limited at all? To this there is clearly no satisfactory answer. Because a condition or a state of affairs has never come within our own experience does not by any means prove it impossible. There are many things in the world around us today, even in daily use, which not many years ago we would have declared impossible. We can readily call to mind several instances of this fact. Hence, if we are not prepared to admit that a fourth dimension is impossible, we must conclude that it may somewhere, under some circumstances, be a possibility. When we have reached this conclusion, the mind eagerly begins to wonder and question what appearance an object of four dimensions would present, and what would be the conditions of life in a world of four dimensions. Since we have no information to guide us, we must look to the imagination for our only answer, and the imagination is ready to respond, as it always is when called upon, though in this case it has extremely meagre data. The best way to approach the solution of this interesting question is to picture in the imagination beings of two dimensions, living in a world of two dimensions, and then to imagine the relation of our world of three dimensions to theirs. From this we can reason forward, from the known to the unknown, and, by analogy, form some notion of the comparison between our three-dimensional space and a world of four dimensions. A world of two dimensions would lie in a single plane, having length and breadth, but no thickness. Let us suppose this plane to be horizontal, like the flat top of a table. All the objects in it would be absolutely flat, without any thickness whatever. If such a world of two dimensions were peopled by intelligent beings, their bodies also would have two dimensions, length and breadth, but no thickness. They might have straight sides, like squares or triangles, or they might be curved, but whatever their shape, they would be perfectly flat. They could glide about the plane in any direction they pleased, as long as they remained in the plane, but they could not move out of their plane. Hence, they could not lift themselves up on edge, as we would stand a card on its edge on the table, nor turn themselves over, as we would turn up the face of a card. They could not move one hair's breadth out of their plane, for if they did, they would at once be in three dimensions, and we are supposing them to live wholly in two dimensions. They not only could not move out of their plane, but they could see only objects lying in their own plane. That is, their eyes would be so constructed that they could see horizontally in every direction in their own plane, but they could see nothing above their plane, and nothing below it. Instead of imagining their plane a small one resting on the top of a table, we may, if we wish, imagine it a huge plane out in space, reaching out to the most distant stars. They might then be able to see the stars which happened to lie in this extended plane, but no matter how bright the stars not lying in their plane might be, those stars would be invisible to them. Not only would these creatures be unable to move themselves out of their two-dimensional world into the third dimension, 
and unable to see any object not lying in their own plane, but their ideas would be equally as limited as their powers of locomotion and of vision. It would be impossible for them to imagine an object having more than two dimensions, and the expression third dimension would be as unmeaning to them as the expression fourth dimension is to us. For instance, they might understand perfectly all the properties of the square, triangle and circle, but they would have no conception of a cube, a pyramid or a sphere, and if anyone attempted to describe such objects to them, it would be impossible to convey the correct idea to their minds. Thus we can see how such creatures might live, throughout the entire history of their race, in a world of only two dimensions seeing and understanding only two dimensions, and yet with three dimensions lying all about them, extending out to infinity above their plane and to infinity below it. Now, if there is a fourth dimension, it must encompass the three dimensions with which we are familiar, in very much the same way that three-dimensional space surrounds the plane of two dimensions. If we should try to explain to the being who knows only two dimensions the meaning of the third dimension, we would probably begin by talking to him about one dimension, which of course he could easily understand. We would point out to him that if a straight line be drawn in one dimension, and then a second line drawn at right angles to the first, the two lines thus drawn would represent two dimensions. This he would understand perfectly. We would then pass to the next step and explain to him that, starting from the same right angle, if we construct a third line perpendicular to both of the original lines at their point of intersection, we should then be in space of three dimensions. He would probably be able to follow the reasoning readily, but when he tried to form a picture in his imagination, it would be impossible for him to see how three lines could be perpendicular to one another at one and the same time and at the same point. It would be beyond his utmost power to trace this third line in space. Practically, this same difficulty confronts us when we try to pass from the notion of three dimensions to the notion of four dimensions. We know that two lines at right angles to each other lie in a plane of two dimensions. And we know that a third line can be constructed in such a manner that all three lines will be perpendicular to one another in the same point, and that the three directions in which these lines extend will represent the three dimensions of our space. All this is very familiar to us. Now, if we proceed one step further and construct a line meeting these three lines in their point of intersection and perpendicular at one at the same time to all three of them, this fourth line will extend in the direction of the fourth dimension. We can follow the reasoning to this point, but when we try to construct the last line, we are in the same position as the being in two dimensions who could not imagine what direction the third perpendicular would take. When we have found out how to draw four lines meeting in a point, each of which shall be perpendicular to all the other three, we will have solved the problem of the fourth dimension, or at least we will be very warm, as the children say. The square of any number, A, 
is written A squared, and it may be represented graphically by a flat surface bounded by four equal straight lines whose length is A, and by four right angles. This requires only two dimensions. The cube of the same number is written A to the power of three, and is represented graphically by a solid figure of three dimensions, bounded by six squares, each equal to A squared. Its angles are formed by three edges meeting in a point, and each edge being perpendicular to the other two. Following the same analogy, the fourth power of the same number is written a to the power of four. This much we know, but its graphic representation we can only imagine, since it could only be formed in four dimensions. It seems reasonable to suppose that it would be a figure bounded by cubes, since the cube was bounded by squares, and the square by lines, and that its angles would be formed by the meeting of four edges, each perpendicular to the other three. Let us return for a moment to the consideration of the world of two dimensions, which we have supposed to be a plane resting on some flat surface, as a table, and peopled by flat creatures of two dimensions. It is obvious that in their eyes the edges of objects would constitute the exterior of the objects. We know that if we look down at a card lying on a table, we can see one entire side of the card. But a flat creature in the same plane with the card would be able to see only the edges of the card. Even their houses, like everything else, would be flat like the card, and the walls of these houses would be their edges. When their doors were closed, those on the outside could see only the edges or exterior of their card-like houses and they could not comprehend how we, looking down from our three dimensions, could see the whole interior of these closed houses, just as they would fail to understand our ability to view the entire surface of the card. In some such manner it might be possible for a creature in the fourth dimension to see the interior of our own houses even when all doors and windows are closed. If we should purloin an article from one of the two-dimensional closed houses and remove it entirely from their plane, it would become suddenly invisible to them, and its disappearance would doubtless constitute a great mystery. In the same way, if there were a fourth dimension, it might be possible for some object belonging to us to disappear suddenly and mysteriously into the fourth dimension. Although the creatures of our hypothetical two-dimensional world would be perfectly flat, they would possess a right side and a left side, just as a person in a photograph has a right and a left side. If we should lift a two-dimensional being from his plane and replace him in a position that would be from our point of view bottom side up, his right and left sides would be reversed. This may be verified by experimenting with a face card. Hence, we may imagine the possibility of any object being lifted from three dimensions into the fourth dimension and replaced in its former position with its right and left sides reversed. We are told that there are light rays which are invisible to us, solely because our eyes are so constructed as to be unable to perceive them. And we are also told that there are tones so low or so high that we can never hear them, 
because our ears are not attuned to them. Shakespeare expresses this idea in The Merchant of Venice when he makes Lorenzo say, There's not the smallest orb which thou beholdest, but in his motion like an angel sings. Such harmony is in immortal souls, but whilst this muddy vesture of decay doth grossly close it in, we cannot hear it. And hence, whether or not a fourth dimension does really exist, it might be that causes similar to those just mentioned, that is, the limitations of some of our senses, would operate to render us unable to perceive it. But, just as we may enjoy in imagination the music of the spheres, though we cannot hear it, so we may take pleasure in exercising our ingenuity in picturing the different properties of the fourth dimension. End of section 12